Would you pray with me before uh, we jump into our sermon this morning? Heavenly, Heavenly Father, we're just reminded um, that you are our only hope. Uh, our hope is not in our own strength, our own goodness. God, our hope is in you. You and you alone and the work of Jesus on the cross. God, you are our only hope and you are the only rock that we want to build our lives on. So God, I pray. I pray that you would help us as we continue to worship by looking at your word. God, would you help all of us to hear what you would say to us through your word and help us by your power to do what you would call us to do. God, I also pray that you would help me to teach. Help me to teach by your power and not my own. Pray that your word would be clear and that you would do what uh, only you can do, which is use a weak person to, to change hearts. I'm praying that you would do that, God. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you all very much for leading us in worship. Um, listen, I hope you guys had a really, really good Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving can be uh, a, a phenomenal time when family's getting together and you're eating turkey and you're seeing loved ones you haven't seen in so long, especially in a COVID world where it feels like time together with family has been more scarce, these moments where we get to gather with family seem sweeter, don't they? Like, like there's something when you're with the family you haven't seen that it, it just, it tastes better because it's been gone for so long, right? Like you, you get to enjoy it. There's, there's joy in being together. There's, there's, there's happiness that happens. There's, there's memories that, that happen around the family dinner tables. But, but I also know that for some of us in Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving is not all joys and happiness, right? For some of us this Thanksgiving, there's empty chairs around that table for the first time. And so in the midst of celebrating the good things God's doing, there's also sadness because there's loved ones that we've lost this year or in the previous year. And so there's also sadness mixed with, with Thanksgiving. And so we don't gather together in just all happiness. We gather together with remembering lost loved ones. And it's, it's not just that. For some of us, Thanksgiving is a time where family isn't a safe place. Right? Thanksgiving feels more like a gunfight emotionally uh, or maybe a knife fight, depending on how your family fights. I don't know. Um, it, it feels more savage and scary and you have to prep yourself for it and recover afterwards than a time of celebration. Um, and, and as we all kind of work through all that stuff, I realize that we're gathered together here after Thanksgiving and some of us, our hearts are full and some of us, our hearts are wounded. And so as we think through that, the, the passage we're looking at today, I'm pulling out of this series on Acts and uh, before we start our Christmas series, and we're going to be in Psalm chapter 4. And I think there's something awesome in Psalm chapter 4 because it, it gives us the secret of joy and thanksgiving, whether things are good or bad. There's a, there's a secret in, this, in Psalm chapter 4. Maybe it's not a secret. He just says it blatantly here in this psalm. He tells us how we can have deep joy whether things are good or things are hard. I think there's something about this that is really good for us right after Thanksgiving. So we're going to be in, in Psalm chapter 4. And as you turn there, let me, let me tell you a few things about the Psalms. One of the reasons I love the Psalms is they're, they're pretty emotionally raw. Like I've talked to you all about this before. The Psalms are not a logical argument about anything. There's, not, there's some logic, but it's not all logic. It's mainly emotion 
in the Psalms. Like what you see in the Psalms is these are prayers or songs that are written. Either the, the, the psalmist is writing is really excited. He's like, man, God is awesome. I love him. And let me tell you all the reasons why I love him. Or he's like, man, these people are making me furious. Let me tell you, God, I need you to help. Or he's sad or he's discouraged. And you watch in the Psalms as um, the writers wrestle with their emotions and their experiences and how their faith in God begins to shape their response. That's what's happening in the Psalms over and over and over again. And, and uh, unless you are emotionless, you can find a psalm for whatever you're going through. Those of you who have no heart, you don't have to worry about it. The psalms aren't for you. But for those of us who are mortals and we have good days and bad days, we have heartache and we have victories, the, the psalms express things and they put things into words that we can't always find ourselves. It's, it's a really powerful thing. So in Psalm chapter 4, let me, let me give you what I think is some of the context of what this psalmist is writing in. Uh, it seems like what's happening is uh, we think it's written by David, and he's got these powerful men, more than just one of them, but several powerful men who are out to get him. They're, they're, uh, they're twisting the things that he says. Everything that he says and does is being critiqued. They're twisting it, so the good things he do, they say is bad. Like it's it's a nightmare. They're, they're, they're twisting all that stuff. These people are in power. They're against him. They, they also love gossip about him, so they love lies. I, I started thinking through this, and the only thing I could think of that illustrated it for me is this is probably what it's like to get in the crosshairs of Twitter or social media nowadays, uh, like, like, or the news. Like they're going to take everything you say and twist it and throw things around. It's going to get taken out of context, and it doesn't matter what you do. They're going to light you up for it. And Psalm chapter 4 is David writing in response to what's happening around him in that. So, so let's, let's jump in to David in the middle of this, this crisis he's dealing with. Psalm 4, verse 1, and here's what he does. He says this, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Um, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Like, like, Right out of the gate, here's what David is doing when he, he has all this pressure from people who are twisting his words and twisting his action and lying against him and they have power and position over him and there's nothing he can do about it. The first thing that David does is he runs to God. And he says, God, I, I need you to help me. Like, I need, I, God, I need you to show up. I need you to answer. And he says this awesome phrase at the beginning of verse one, oh God of my righteousness. I love this because here's David and, and here's the thing that he's doing. He's saying, God, I need you to help me. And the reason I'm coming to you is you're the God that makes me righteous. That, that word righteous, that's a, a fancy word for saying, God, you say that I'm okay. You say that I'm right. You say that you're pleased with me. Like, like he's saying, listen, what David is doing in this moment is as he's praying to God in the midst of the trial, he's reminding himself that God is the one that declares him to be good and right and clean. Here's why I love this. This is the gospel everyone. This is the gospel in Old Testament form. He's, he's saying, I'm not righteous because I'm good. I'm not righteous because I'm smarter than the other guys who are mad at me. I'm not righteous because I offer more sacrifices than the other guys. I'm, I'm not righteous because I show up to temple more than the other guys. I'm righteous because you said I am righteous. I'm not righteous because I've been good. I'm, I'm righteous because you've been good and you've been kind. Here's why that stands out to me. If you've ever been in a situation where you feel like you're being attacked and things are being twisted, have you all experienced that? Okay, yes. 
Good, you raised your hand. Guys, I'm so proud of you. Thanksgiving has helped. You interacted with me. Go team, go. Um, listen, if you've been in that experience where, where people have, they're, they're, they're just, feel like they're coming after you and there's no pleasing them. Like you can respond in a couple different ways. There's the arrogant, self-assured, self-righteous way, right? Like someone comes at you, they attack, and immediately you're like, you're just an idiot. You're stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. I, you wouldn't say I'm awesome, but you're, you're thinking, I'm right. I know what I'm doing. You don't, right? Uh, th- this can be a very toxic thing. Uh, if this is like in a marriage relationship, things are not going to go well in your arguments, right? You don't want to respond this way. If, you're, if your marriage is turned this way, you need to get counseling and keep it from going down this path in a really dark way. But, but we can respond when we feel attacked with arrogance and defense and self-righteousness. And I can imagine, I can imagine that here's David probably in leadership and people are talking about him and twisting what he says and it'd be really easy to go, don't you know who I am? I stinking killed Goliath, bro. You want to go? You want to dance with me? Let me tell you about how I killed a bear and I killed a lion and I killed a giant and I killed a whole bunch of Philistines. What have you done? He didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, God, like, I need you to defend me because I've done awesome things for you. He didn't go arrogant on his enemies. He, he reminded himself that it's God that makes him righteous. You feel yourself in conflict. You feel yourself in pressure at the family dinner table or in life, at work, wherever you're at. When you feel that happen, you don't need to tell yourself, I'm strong, I'm capable, I'm competent. You need to tell yourself, Jesus makes me strong Jesus makes me clean. It's his opinion that matters, not my own opinion of myself. But, but he didn't go arrogant and self-righteous, but, but he also didn't go like fragile. You, you can respond that way as well. Like you become so fragile that public opinion just whips you around all over the place, right? Like every time someone says, I don't think you should do that, it's like, oh no, they're right. <laughs> I don't think... Like, I don't know if you've experienced, maybe, you, maybe that's the way you respond when the pressure's up. When the, when the critique is out and you feel like people are disagreeing with you and attacking you, your response is not an arrogant self-righteousness. It's this fragile, man, every word crushes me and drops me to the ground. And it makes you flounder and flip-flop. It makes you feel unstable because you are. <laughs> You're getting knocked around. He he doesn't let this knock him around because he comes back to this center. God makes me righteous. His opinion matters more than mine and his opinion matters more than yours. Listen, I love that. Like right out of the gate, he's saying, God, yeah, I got this pressure going on and I need you to help and you're the one that makes me righteous. The God of my righteousness. That's, That's good news. Church, so when you feel the pressure, remind yourself that God makes you righteous. You remind yourself of the gospel. But there's something else that he does in verse 1. He says this, you have given me relief when I was in distress. That word distress means he squeezed. He's saying, listen, God, he starts thinking back of all the times that God has rescued him. He doesn't just preach the gospel to himself. He he does this. He says, God, I'm remembering all the times in the past You've done this over and over and over and over again. I was in a tight spot and you, 
you freed me. Things were squeezing in. Saul was chasing me around that mountain and you showed up and gave me a way out. Like Goliath was bearing down on me and you helped that rock smack his head and bring him to the ground. Like over and over and over again in every tight spot I've ever been in, God, you've always shown up and you've always been faithful. Here's what I think he's doing. He's remembering all of God's past faithfulness. And not just to say, hey, God's always been faithful. It's, the point of it is, I'm remembering God's past faithfulness to stir up faith in my heart right now that he will show up in this moment, in this crisis. He's, it's not about just that I've always gotten through it. It's that God's always been faithful. Listen, church, it's, it can be real easy when you're in crisis and struggling and you can lose sight of the fact you forget about God's faithfulness and your faith and trust begins to wane and it feels shaky. Listen, when you feel the pressure on, when you, when you feel distress and life is weighing you down, you need to do three things that I see him doing in Psalm chapter four, verse one. He goes to God, he, he remembers the gospel, and he remembers God's past faithfulness. That's, that's the fuel and the ammo that he is using to fight his enemies attacking him. And, and let me show you what he does next in this psalm. Let me go to verse two here. He starts to kind of light the guys up who are giving him a hard time. He says this, verse two. He says, oh men, that thing can also be translated sons of men. It, it means men who are in power, men of prestige, um, men of rank is what it would say. He says, oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? He, starts, he kind of challenges them and he's saying, how long are you gonna do this? How long are you going to twist what I say and what I do? You're going to take my honor, the good things that I do, the good things that I've done, and you're going to somehow make it shameful for me. You're going to make it seem like I did something bad when I was doing what was right. How long are you going to do this? Like I, I love the fact that David feels so free just to rebuke everyone. How long are you going to do this, guys? He says, how long are you going to love vain words and seek after lies? Word vain words. How, how long are you going to love vanity? And how long are you going to try to dig up every lie and piece of gossip you can get after? Like he, he starts challenging it. How long are you going to do this? Are you, are you really going to keep doing this? And then he gives them this reminder here. He says this in verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself, and the Lord hears when I call to him, there's this challenge. Said, Guys, how long do you want to do this? You, you, want to, you want to keep going after me? You want to keep attacking me? You want to keep manipulating everything and trying to dig up lies and gossip? You, don't forget this, that God protects the godly and he listens when I pray to him. That's a pretty powerful thing that David is saying. He, he's saying, listen, God made me righteous and if he made me righteous, then that means he's looking after me. And I have this confidence that when I pray and talk to God, he listens and he hears me. So you should be really, really careful when you mess with the godly. Because when you mess with the godly, you're messing with one of God's children. When you mess with God's children, he takes that seriously. He, he loves his kids. You see what David is doing here? He's, he's rebuking his enemies, saying, How, are you going to keep doing this? Like, don't, let's put in perspective what you're doing. Like, God is involved in this. This is not just a personal quabble. God is involved in these struggles and in this conflict. And then he, he gives him this advice in verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. The word angry means tremble or to be really, it's not the normal word for anger. It's, it's almost be agitated. Be, be just, oh, you can be upset. That's okay, but don't sin when you're upset. 
ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent before God. He says, guys, if you want to be upset at me, fine, be upset, but don't sin when you're upset. I love what he's doing here because here's what it told me. It's easy for me to put myself in the spot of David saying, man, people always attack. Like that's probably where you're identifying. But as I kept reading this over and over and over again, the thing that stood out is I started realizing, man, it is really easy for me to get sucked into the conflict in a way that maybe I'm not David, maybe I become this person right here who's, who's getting angry and agitated, who's, who's believing lies, who's going shallow, who's, who's uh, getting really upset and sinning. And he's saying, can you just hit pause for a moment? Don't get sucked into the fray. Have you ever found yourself that kind of happen? Like there's this fight and conflict that starts to happen with a friend or a loved one or hopefully not a coworker. I don't know, none of those would be good. But all of a sudden you find yourself, you get in this dysfunctional circle where you, they start throwing mud and then you start throwing mud right with them. Y'all experience that? Like and you walk away like, what? why do I always do this? Like I tell myself, okay, this Thanksgiving, I'm not getting into it with Aunt Susie. I'm not doing it. When she brings up politics and starts talking about COVID, I'm keeping my mouth shut, right? And then maybe I shouldn't use COVID. I don't know. Now you're like, oh, you want to fight? Like, uh, like, um, like, I'm not going to do it. And then sure enough, you're at Thanksgiving, and then there's that comment. It comes zinging across the table, and everything, I'm not going to do it this year. And then boom, you find yourself sucked down into the mud. You can't keep your mouth shut anymore. And before you know it, it's an all-out war at Thanksgiving. Everyone's leaving and angry, and you're just, oh, man. And, and here's what David is saying. Listen, in, when you get agitated, do not sin. Just stop. Go home and just Stop. Just stop from getting in the fray. And instead of getting into the fray, do this. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. What a crazy statement. Like, okay, so Dave, what you want me to do when Aunt Susie says that five millionth comment and I can't take it anymore, something about how I should spank my kids more or something like that, I don't know, whatever it is at your dinner table, when that thing comes zinging across the table, like you want me just to stop, don't get sucked into the fray. Just, you can be agitated. It's not like you're emotionless, but don't sin. That's tough enough, right? And then you want me to take it and ponder about it. And then instead of laying in, in bed at night, stewing and getting raging angry, you take that moment to start worshiping God, trusting God giving him right sacrifices instead of saying, I can't believe she said that to me. I, mean, I kept my mouth shut, but the next time I see her, Christmas is going to be a doozy, right? Like I've got three comments for her. I can't, like you got in that imaginary fight afterwards. Like don't, he doesn't, doesn't mean to fester on it. He, take it, stop yourself from sinning and then worship Jesus. That's crazy talk. Like I'm sitting there going, man, David, I don't know how am I supposed to do that? Like this is some kind of pie in the sky theory, but here's what he's telling his enemies. You need, guys need to stop. God's on my side. I don't know how long you're going to get sucked into the fray, but you need to stop when you're agitated. Don't sin and worship God. And then you see how David is going to respond. Like he's saying, listen, you, you need to worship God. You need to trust God. And then he talks about what he's going to do. Has he's been receiving all the critique, and he's receiving all the manipulation of his words and action. As he's receiving all the lies and the gossip that he has to deal with, 
He says he's going to do this, verse 6. And I think this is good instruction for us when we're on the receiving end of people being harsh or overly critical or just whatever the issue is. Verse 6, he says this. There are many who say, who will show us some good? It's, it's kind of this pity party that David's saying he doesn't want to get into. He says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. He says, listen, I, there's a lot who would get in a pity party if they're in my situation. I don't want to go in a pity party and say, God, you're never good to me. Why don't you ever show any good to me? Why, just some kindness. He's saying, there's a lot who would say that. That's what David is saying right here. Tons of people go, he's never kind to me. He never looks out for me. And I can see why David would get there. Let me, let me remind you about the story of David. Uh, after he kills Goliath and he's been anointed king, there's still another king that's present. And David literally for years has to be on the run out in the wilderness, running from Saul over and over and over again. His life is literally an outlaw for years. He can't be with family he can't be with friends. He can't go back to worship God in Jerusalem. Like he's an outcast. He's labeled a traitor. And he hasn't done anything wrong. And every time he gets to a place where it feels safe, they turn him into Saul. He has to go back out in the desert and run and hide. And I could see him with this group of men. There's these moments when they're running again. They're hiding again. Saul's hot on their tail again. And they don't know if they're going to get out of it. And they're nervous about this. And Saul's been chasing him and pursuing and making his life miserable. And his guys are sitting there going, man, is God ever going to give us a break? He's never kind. You, you felt that moment? Like when the heat is on and life feels really, really hard, if you're not careful you will shift to this down-in-the-dumps pity party that just says, he's not kind. You, you'll miss all his goodness. You'll miss all his kindness. And it'll, it'll sink you lower and lower and lower. And he says, there's many that say this. But that's not what David says. David says this in verse 7. And this is this key for that joy I was talking about earlier. He says, you have put more joy in my heart than they when their grain and wine abound. This is phenomenal. Like as David thinks of this, as he hears the people saying, God's never kind to us, as he hears his enemies spreading lies and are constantly setting traps for him, as he sees that, he's got this thing that goes deep into his heart. He says this, God makes me happy. Like, and way more happy than when they've got all their stuff around them. They're, they're sitting in prosperity. Everything's going great. He says that their, their wine and grain abound. It's their Thanksgiving dinner. Like, I, listen, let me tell you what I think he's saying here. Here's the example that I think stands out for us. Here's David. And he's saying, listen, these guys are around that Thanksgiving table and they've got their family and their friends and four turkeys and a ham and I don't know how many sets of mac and cheese are sitting at that table. They got four of everything, right? And things seem happy, things are good. And he's saying, do you know what makes me happier than that? Jesus. Like it's, it's this moment that all the joy that he gets in Thanksgiving, all, all the joy that he gets with family and friends, he's saying, Jesus is better than that. He makes me happier than that. It's happier than what Christmas can bring me and, and holidays and vacation and all this stuff. When I have all the stuff that I want, and my job is secure and my family is good and my kids are awesome and my health is good and everyone's around the table. It's the moment where everything is perfect. He says, there's something better than all of that being right. It's this joy that God puts in my heart. 
Church, I think the question is this. Does, does God make you happy? I, I know that for some of us, Thanksgiving makes us happy. Or I think that makes us happy. We feel content. And that's okay. But, but does God make you and me happier than Thanksgiving dinner with the family? Did, does God give us more joy if all of that was gone? Or, or even if it's all there, is it still, no matter how good that is, there's something better in my heart because I have Jesus? There's a New Testament way that, that Paul says this over and over and over again. Philippians chapter 3, he says it this way. It's the same thing David just said here about God putting joy in his heart. But David says it, or Paul says it this way in Philippians 3, verse 7. He says this, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Like, you see what he's saying there? Like, man, all the stuff I had that felt like gain, it's... It's lost for, because I can know Jesus. It doesn't compare to him. Everything. Knowing Jesus is the best thing ever. That's what he's saying. He also says this. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Or Peter says it this way. 1 Peter 1 verses 6 through 8. He's talking about how trials can hit people. And he makes this statement. He says, in this you rejoice Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Like, listen, hey, there's something that makes you happy. Even though things have been hard, what is it that makes you happy? Look what he says in verse 7. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says it this way. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Here's what he just said. Listen, when trials are coming, there's this rejoicing that you have. The rejoicing that you have is that Jesus is at work and he's with you and he gives you a joy you don't even know how to express. It's this deep-seated happiness in God, and it's regardless of your circumstances. It's in knowing and enjoying Jesus. So let me come back to Psalm chapter 4, because there's a challenge in this for us. I can sit here and tell you, you know what? Make yourself happy in Jesus. And I think you'll miss the point of what David is saying, because notice what he says here. Who put the joy in David's heart in verse 7 of Psalm chapter 4? God did. David didn't say, you know what, I want to be a happier person, so I am going to set up five ways for, to be me, for me to be more happy. He could have even put a little God language on it. I'm going to do five things that will make me happier in God. That's not what he said. He said, God, you put joy in me. You did this. I, I can't put it in myself. If I try to put it in myself, that's what the wine and the the grain that he's talking about abounding, it's them trying to get joy for themselves. Grain will make me happy. Wine will make me happy. Family will make me happy. Career will make me happy. Retirement will make me happy. None of those things will make you happy. You cannot put this type of joy in your own heart. You need Jesus to help you. You need Jesus to do this work, this work in you that that makes you say, listen, I feel like I'm drinking out of a water fountain that just 
tastes so good. I need him to give me something that isn't in me automatically. That, listen, let me remind you, that's the gospel, everyone. This is, this is the good news. What, what following Jesus about is not about you guys working harder or finding ways to make yourself happier. You go to Jesus and you say, Jesus, my heart doesn't feel happy right now. And I need you to put something in me that I don't automatically have. I need you to do a work in my heart. It feels cold and I'm, I'm trying to make myself happy with lesser things, but it's fleeting and I know I'm aching for something more. Jesus, I need you to give me a new heart. That's what I need in this moment. So you just run to him and say, God, I, this is what I need. I need a heart that enjoys you. I, I want you to put joy in me. And that's exactly what he said he did for us on the cross. Well, what he told us is this. Listen, our hearts are dead and cold and broken. And God saw us in this state, this state that was trying to make ourselves happier apart from you. We tried to make ourselves happy with all sorts of things. We were in rebellion against God. And he saw us and he knows that we cannot make ourselves happy. We, we cannot fix our hearts. We cannot love him and adore him and obey him. So he came down and he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He, he died on the, heart, on the cross for our are broken and twisted hearts. And he says this, when he came back to life three days later, he said, I don't need you to perform. I need you to trust me. I need you to trust my work on the cross. I need you to ask me to save you. And what he says he'll do when you place your trust in him, when you ask him to save you, I don't want the old way, I want you. When you do that, here's what he says he does. I'm gonna give you a new heart, a heart that is actually happy in me. I'm going to give you the spirit to constantly fill you and remind you and renew you over and over and over again. When your heart wanders away, that spirit's going to call you back and say, don't forget about Jesus. He's better. He's better. He's better. He's better. He'll make you happy. He'll put joy in your heart. Don't forget about Jesus. What he says is he'll do the work to give us a new heart and to give us the spirit. He says that he'll give us joy in our heart. So church, my question for us is this today. The question I think the psalmist is asking us, will we try to pursue joy in God or will we try to pursue joy that we create in our own hearts? Is your ultimate happiness found in your dinner table at Thanksgiving? Or is there something deeper that, that even though you're happy with the family and the gathering and all these things that bring joy, there's a, there's a greater joy at a deeper joy that's only found from God putting it in your heart. Church, I, I want to I challenge you. Really enjoy Jesus. This, this Thanksgiving time, don't rush out of today as you're getting ready to go back to work tomorrow. Don't rush out of it as you're getting ready to head back home and go back to all the things as family are going back. Don't rush through without saying, Jesus, I want you to give me joy. More joy than Thanksgiving you'll give me. Joy that only you can give. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to guide us in a time of response. And this is a time for you to kind of do business with God. Kind of ask him what he would have called you to today. You know, for some of us, uh, 
maybe what God did in your heart is you, you feel the pressure. You, you felt the, the war of people attacking you or twisting your words. And you've been trying to handle it on your own. And we just take a moment and just give that burden and that struggle to God. Ask him for help with wherever that struggle is coming from, whether it's family or work or just life. Would you just take a moment to stop trying to deal with it on your own and ask God to help you? Maybe for others here, the thing for you is uh, maybe you haven't been attacked. Maybe you've been the one attacking. That as you read those things, you realize every time you've engaged with family or certain things, you found yourself in the fray. You're flinging mud just like everyone else. Man, if that's been you, would you repent and ask God to forgive you? Ask him to help you keep from sin and would you just worship him? Or maybe you've been responding by throwing a pity party. <laughs> you, you haven't seen any hope and God hasn't, you feel like he's not doing anything good for you. Listen, would you look to Jesus for your source of ultimate joy? Maybe you've been convicted that you've been finding joy in family or career or anything else, but Jesus hasn't made you happy. This is a moment to ask him to do a work in your heart that only he can do. And finally, I would say this for some of you. I mean, you hear this talk about Jesus doing a work on the cross. And the thing that God did in your heart was a call to sit there and say, man, you need to trust him. You need to ask him to save you and trust him for a new heart and a clean heart and the Holy Spirit. You, you need more than just religion. You need Jesus to change you. Listen, if that's you, I just want to encourage you right there in your seat just to simply repent and ask Jesus to save you. Just tell him, God, I need you to save me. And I trust that you died on the cross and came back to life three days later. And I want to put all my hope in you. And the Bible says if you'll call on him, he'll save you. But now is the time for us to respond. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And uh, we're going to sing a song of response to God. And that's a time for you to respond either by worshiping him or you can do business with him right there in your seat. If you want to come forward, the altar will be open. We'll have pastors and decision counselors. We'll be down front. If you need to speak to someone, we'd love to talk with you. But, but this is a time for us to respond to God and ask him to really be our source of real, true, everlasting joy. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I pray you would work. I pray you would make it really, really clear what you would say to us through your word. God, I pray you would do a work in our hearts that we would not settle for lesser things to make us happy, but we would find ourselves really, really hungry for you. God, I'm praying that you would give us joy, like real joy that's deep and strong and endures through all trials and all situations. God, I'm praying that you would make us deeply happy in you. God, do that work in our hearts. I pray we'd be a really happy people because of your work on the cross. God, if we've gotten sucked into the fray, I pray you would help us to stop sinning, even though we're agitated. Help us not to sin. Help us to worship you. God, I pray you would find a, that we would find you to be a source of joy. 
And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.